Hi, I'm John Trope. I'm social distancing from uh, Mooresville, North Carolina. Hello and welcome to Closer Social Distancing, where we're helping each other stay connected and inspired while physically apart. Many of us are having three health experiences during this pandemic, anxiety, poor sleep, and fatigue. I'm Alex, and on this episode, I interviewed Dr. John Trope, the Vice President of Scientific Affairs and Dietary Supplements at the Consumer Healthcare Products Association. Dr. Trope is a nutrition expert with a PhD in bioenergetics, and today he helps us understand what's behind these three symptoms, and he explains different nutritional approaches to target each one. For more content like our latest interview video with 2017 MasterChef winner Dino Luciano, visit closersocialdistancing.com. We have more interviews coming your way each week, so be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Thank you, Dr. Trope, for joining. Super excited to be able to talk to you today. Uh, we have a lot of important information to share about health. So let's start by telling us a bit about your background and what is your mission as it relates to health. Yeah, I um, have uh, about 25 years of experience all in the clinical nutrition healthcare sector. And during that time, I've had the chance to experience how nutrition influences health, how it influences even sports performance. So I'm an avid, uh, avid um, uh, user of, of healthy nutrition and uh, believe in, in the power of evidence-based clinical nutrition as it can help us manage our health processes. A lot of us have been experiencing different struggles during the coronavirus pandemic, uh, and we're going to be talking about three of those today, mood and anxiety challenges, uh, disruption in sleep and disruption in energy levels and fatigue. And we're gonna be looking at different nutrients that can help with those struggles that we're all facing. But let's start with the basics first. Uh, does nutrition actually make a difference in how our bodies function? And if so, how? Yeah, you know, surprisingly, nutrition makes a big difference in being able to help optimize how the body responds and can function. So, you know, the body is kind of like a, uh, the analogy I like to use is like an engine to the car. It needs to be fine-tuned and it needs to be optimized so that when facing any particular challenge where the body has to respond to something, then it's at its best. And so the issue that, that we now realize across America is that, that about 40 to 60% of Americans have undernutrition, meaning that the requirements for optimal use of intake of micronutrients, phytonutrients, and even macronutrients and calories aren't optimized. They're, they're about 20 to 40% deficient uh, in what's really being recommended. And when you have that kind of underlying undernutrition, then the body can't function as well. The immune system can't respond as robustly as it might. Uh, our muscles don't operate. Our vascular system doesn't operate. Our brains don't function uh, as well. And so it's really important that we try to optimize those underlying systems and nutrition really has a major influence on our body's ability to stabilize itself. And when we think about that from a, uh, a very colloquial scientific level, is this happening in individual cells? Is this happening in organs? So when you, uh, let's say you, uh, eat a certain food that, um, is supposed to help the immune system. How is it? How is what you put in your mouth actually making 
a difference in a part of your body and a muscle in your immune system in your brain. Yeah. Well, so it's, it's both. It has both a macro or kind of a, a large uh, overall effect in the foods that we eat, but then those foods are digested and they're broken down into components and they're absorbed in the body. So the micronutrients, so let's take an example, uh, whether it's calcium or something like magnesium can then be absorbed. And then it influences the metabolic or biochemical processes of the body, but it all starts in the gut, which is really important so that the type of foods that are in our gut have a major influence in on establishing the microbiome. And then there are other uh, intermediate metabolites that are produced and then they're taken up in the body that in turn affect the production of energy, product uh, and produce and influence how the body metabolizes processes that support, again, things like brain function, cardiovascular function, how we respond to stress and anxiety. Uh, so, so it has both a macro effect and a very um, small micro effect at the cellular level. So it's, it's everything. And uh, when you think about um, uh, nutrient like vitamin D that a lot of people may have some base knowledge of, um, you go outside in the sun and uh, just being in the natural sunlight can increase the amount of vitamin D in your body. So our bodies in a way are making some of these nutrients on their own. Is that the case for all of the nutrients that we need? We can produce them on our own. Or are there large amounts or a majority of them that you can't get on your own and you have to get through what you eat and intake? Yeah, for, for the most part, they're all uh, available and sourced from the foods that we eat, you know, which is, the other, which is the other issue that we're facing or converted from the foods that we eat into other active uh, nutrients or metabolites. So one of the things that we're facing around the world, and in particular uh, in America, is, is our farming methods, as an example, and food processing methods have changed so much in the last 40 years that the nutrient density that exists in the fruits and vegetables, as one example, that exists have, have decreased by about 30 to 40%. So it's really important that we get back into understanding, let's look for the healthiest fruits and vegetables or food sources of nutrients that we can find and integrate more of those into our diets. And where we can, let's recognize that, that moderate supplementation can help support and overcome the gaps that exist in, a, say, a poor dietary practice or habit or in the foods that we've been selecting. So today you need both, really. You need to be aware of a healthier diet and selection of the more nutrient-dense food sources, which is always preferred and ideal. And then where it's not possible for specific issues or gaps in nutrition, just be aware that supplementation can help those, those gaps and fill those gaps. That's, that's really surprising. So if you, if you looked at a leaf of spinach from the grocery store today and compared it to a spinach leaf from the past or from uh, maybe an organic farm, will you actually see a different amount of iron, for example, or uh, different nutrient levels in the same size leaf of spinach? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and it all starts actually with, with uh, the soil. What's the nutrient profile and content of the soil? And that's been decreasing. So there are good studies that have shown two things. Over time, with the change in farming methods, the nutrient profile in the soil has decreased. But fortunately, with some of the regenerative and organic farming techniques that are possible, nutrient density is being restored in the soil. So what's in the soil determines how the plant grows and then what's in the plant. 
So additional studies then have also shown that in a leaf of spinach uh, or in, in things like beets or carrots, that the profile and the amounts of the key active vitamins that are available are now returning because of better farming methods. Or conversely, they've decreased over time where uh, there hasn't been enough attention paid to better farming techniques to optimize nutrient profile. Wow. So, so you might think that you're eating a nutritious diet, um, but really, if, you're, if you don't know the nutrient density of the plant you're eating, it may actually be lower than you're expecting it to be. But we also know that not all Americans are eating a nutritious and varied diet. Um, what do you see as the pattern when you think of what is sort of the standard American diet uh, and how is that from a nutritional perspective? What are some of the things that might be missing? Yeah. You know, so fortunately, it's a little bit easier than what we've just been talking about, right? So number one is, is, is to be aware that there's a healthier profile of foods and food choices that we can make. And so if we get away from fast foods, if we can get away uh, from high sugar content beverages um, and, you know, lower quality of uh, uh, selection of nutrient foods, that's, that's the first and easiest way to overcome this nutrient gap. So how do you do that? Focus on things like fruits, vegetables, nuts, legumes, uh, beans, as an example. So a shift into and an awareness in the selection of those food types and sources will quickly help readjust our dietary and nutrient intake to overcome some, some of the gaps. Hmm. So let's, uh, we're going to be talking today about um, anxiety, sleep, and energy and fatigue. Let's, let's start talking about anxiety and mood imbalances. I think a lot of us are feeling that right now, maybe because we're suddenly stuck inside all day. Our exercise routine is disrupted because the gyms are closed. Uh, we have fear of catching the coronavirus or someone we know catching it. We're seeing uh, negative news. Um, maybe we've lost our jobs. We're seeing the struggles in the economy. And all of these are uh, reasonable fears and concerns. Uh, but what's really striking is even if you take all of that away, if you take away the coronavirus pandemic, about 40 million Americans experience anxiety every year. So imagine how much more people are feeling anxiety and mood challenges right now while we're in a pandemic. Uh, so my first question is, what is anxiety from a biological perspective, we had to explain the science of this uh, to someone who doesn't have a medical background. What's happening in our brains and bodies when we experience anxiety? Yeah. Well, so you know, so what is anxiety? An anxiety is is increased stress. It's uh, a fear, uh, whether it's perceived or real, and that affects our brain chemistry. It even affects you know, our hormonal response and hormone balance to that. So the body. Can, can help manage that response. Um, and in part, things like exercise clearly have, have an ability to help dampen, if you will, or, or deal with that, that stress or fear response, but so does food. And so we know that there are some things, and again, it be, can be a little bit more complicated if you're undernourished, because some nutrients play a very key role in being able to manage that stress response. And so, you know, you may consider things like increased heart rate or increased production of cortisol. It's the old fight or flight concept that is very similar to the experience of anxiety. And we know that there are key nutrients like magnesium in particular that can help manage that stress response or that, that fear, constant fear that can be addressed. 
So the good news is, is that, you know, it really is normal to have some levels of stress and fear in times like this. And the good news is that we can control some of it and, and actually a lot of it by exercise, getting out there and taking a walk for 30 minutes, uh, you know, at, at a shot or shorter or longer if you have time for that. But nutrition is, is kind of the underappreciated solution when it comes to an awareness of stress management. And there you can look for foods that have higher levels of magnesium. And so there are things like uh, beets that can be used or uh, buckwheat, uh, almonds, um, beans, kidney beans, legumes, nuts that play an important role in being able to increase your magnesium uh, intake. And magnesium plays an important role in the biochemical processes that affect how the body metabolically deals with and manages stress. The second component that I wanted to mention that's really important too is that believe it or not, there's a connection between the gut brain. Hmm. And so what you put into your gut will create a bunch of intermediate metabolites or compounds, chemical compounds in your gut that can influence the nervous system intervention and link to the brain. And so you want to be able to create um, an environment of your microbiome and the metabolites that are produced that are conducive into a more of a calming anti-inflammatory type of response. And so the gut and stabilizing the gut for its influence on the brain is important, as well as in the metabolic biochemical processes where something like magnesium can play an important and it sounds like it sounds like we're ta- we're not talking about eliminating stress. We're talking about how these uh, nutrients can help your body respond to the stress. And yeah. so um, it makes sense to feel anxiety if you lose your job. Um, but it sounds like if your body doesn't have what it needs, it can't come back to that normal level of functioning. And maybe you stay in that stress state longer. Is that how some of these nutrients are playing out? Yeah, I definitely would look at it as you just described it, Alex. It's really important to understand that the role of nutrition is primarily being able to prepare the body to respond as best as it can. Nutrients do have an effect on on the uh, psychometabolic responses and the gut-brain axis. It's not necessarily going to be that solution uh, as uh, ultimate solution or, if you will, cure, but it will help strengthen the systems that influence it. And that's, that's really an important differentiation uh, for people to, to really appreciate. So when we think about anxiety, you mentioned um, uh, magnesium. Is there, are there any other nutrients that stand out to you uh, when we think about preparing the body to respond well to the new stressors that we're all feeling? Yeah, you know, magnesium is, is probably the, the most um, uh, widely studied and, and uh, easily available uh, from food. So that's, that's uh an easy one, 40% of the population don't meet the daily intake for magnesium. So it's an easy, it's an easy fix. We also know that high quality carbohydrates, you know, from grains, healthy grains uh, will help reset the gut and polyphenols, things from blueberries or cranberries uh, can help increase uh, the production of the metabolites that influence that gut brain uh, access. So there are, those are a couple of different uh, food types and, um, nutrients that really can have a big impact. The, uh, you just mentioned that um, uh, about 40% of Americans are deficient in magnesium. And that's really striking to me when you also see the high levels of anxiety that we have in America. And I just wonder if there's a link between that and if having better magnesium intake could ultimately end up 
uh, helping more people be able to respond to anxiety. Um, so my next question is, let's think about magnesium. How can we get it right now? Is it through the foods we eat? And if so, what are a couple of foods people could be buying? Um, or is it something that we need to uh, get in higher levels through supplementation? Yeah. yeah, so so uh, for the most part, those people who are undernourished or don't meet the daily requirement or recommendation for magnesium, they're only efficient by a range of about 20 to 40 percent. And, you know, across the board, you can easily say that if you're if you're deficient in any particular micronutrients, on average, somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 percent deficient. So that's good news because the good majority of that gap, that deficiency can be filled just by eating better and selecting foods that are healthier for you. So what are those sources? People should start thinking about eating, eating more nuts, eating more um, uh, legumes, beans, uh, items like um, beets, uh, other fruits and vegetables that um, uh, you know, include things like uh, kale or turnips um, can help. So they're not necessarily, you know, necessarily the most well-known uh, fruits or vegetables, but they're available in the produce section in, in grocery stores still and more, more so in the organic section. So go to the organic section and look for almost any food that's colored green, uh, and that'll help uh, identify um, ways to get a food supply. And for those people that have higher gaps or still don't feel comfortable in overcoming that stress response, then I think it's worth considering using you know, a healthy uh, supplement that uh, doesn't have to be at high doses. It, it, it can be anywhere from 80 to 200 milligrams uh, per serving. And that'll help overcome uh, in time uh, that, that sense of uh, stress. Let's talk about sleep. I'm curious to start off with this by asking, how are you sleeping currently? You know, amazingly, I'm sleeping great. I, I suffer more from stress and anxiety than I do from sleep. So I, I, I don't know. I guess I worry about that during the day. I'm so exhausted that, that I fall asleep. So I'm getting a good seven, seven, eight hours of sleep these days. Uh, so I'm thankful for that. Um, yeah, that's, that's great. I'm definitely feeling a disruption in sleep. Uh, and it feels a little paradoxical because you think you get to stay home all day right now. Uh, things should be a little more mellow. But I, I'm hearing from so many of my friends and colleagues. Uh, uh, there's news articles about it right now. Sleep is being disrupted by the coronavirus pandemic, which you wouldn't think. You'd think this is about, you know, either you catch the virus or you don't. Uh, but a big uh, factor that seems to be playing out is disrupted sleep. Um, and I'm curious if you have any insight into why people might be having more trouble falling asleep, staying asleep, going into deep sleep right now during the coronavirus pandemic versus a more regular time. Yeah. You know, so some of the, um, the, uh, dysregulation in sleep and sleep cycles has, has been linked to increased stress, right? So in particular, there have been fluctuations in cortisol uh, levels and the increasing cortisol levels or gradual increase during, during uh, nighttime where it may wake people up, frankly, uh, around three or four o'clock in the morning. So the, these what are called you know, circadian rhythms, 24-hour cycles of hormone responses and, and stress and cortisol response will influence sleep. And what is cortisol? That's cortisol. A is a hormone that's been linked to, you know, the old, uh, the old adage of uh, fight or flight, you know, that sense of, of stress uh, kind of wakes you up uh, at night. At nighttime can be related to or associated with increased cortisol levels. So you want to be able to somehow be able to manage or dampen that response. 
Um, so, but when it comes to sleep, I think, you know, as with stress, it's important to think about the whole um, concept of mind, body, spirit, and be able to manage, you know, that triangular uh, influence. And so exercising every day will help kind of minimize that level of stress and, and make you tired a little bit so it becomes easier to fall asleep. But the biggest challenge I think most people have is waking up. It's not falling asleep, it's waking up mm. in the middle of the night. And so what's that? And so I think pre-bedtime routines are really important. And so going through a relaxation process, get things out of your head, start start trying to, to relax a little bit. So, you know, a nice, good, warm cup of hot chocolate or a good chamomile tea, those are an important part of a process and a regimen that, that people can start thinking about adapting uh, as a pre-bedtime ritual that, that can help too. And uh, when we think about nutrition, uh, are there any nutrients that play a key role in helping us fall asleep and staying asleep, maintaining that circadian rhythm? Or are there any nutrients um, that you've seen or studied that can help people get into a better sleep routine? Yeah, so there's been a fair amount of work over the last 30 years looking at fluctuations or influence of a hormone called melatonin that can influence sleep cycle. And so anything that might be able to influence melatonin levels could help. Now, it's possible to get supplementation of melatonin, and the dosing there uh, for sleep is actually pretty high, though. It's, it's, it's been uh, suggested anywhere as high as 6 to 9 milligrams might be required to help reset uh, the uh, circadian rhythms and make it easier to sleep. Fortunately, there are natural food sources that are available that either have high levels of melatonin or have precursors to melatonin. And, and there are some teas, um, like passion, uh, passion flower tea can be used. Uh, there's um, a drink uh, that's available today called or from tart cherries. Tart cherries have high levels of melatonin. So do walnuts. Hmm. Uh, walnuts have high levels of, of uh, melatonin. Um, you know, you might for dinner think about eating a little bit more turkey. Turkey has high levels of an amino acid called tryptophan, which is a precursor to the body's ability to produce more melatonin. So those are some examples of, of beverages or fruits uh, or court, main course meals that people might think about integrating into their diets to help get ready on being able to influence that cycle. Yeah, the, the turkey thing's fascinating. I mean, you, you hear all the jokes over Thanksgiving about eating turkey and falling asleep. I didn't know the connection between the tryptophan and turkey helps your body produce more melatonin, which your body... I guess, releases or um, interacts with when it's time to go to bed. So yeah. that's, that's really interesting. Um, let's talk now about energy levels and fatigue. Uh, this is maybe uh, the biggest contradiction I'm experiencing currently with uh, how my body and mind are feeling during the uh, coronavirus pandemic. You'd think you're not commuting to work. You can't run errands because everything is closed. You get to stay home all day. You should have tons of energy, should be bouncing off the walls, wide awake. And yet I find myself feeling more fatigued and more tired than when I have my regular routine, which actually requires me to do more things. I think a lot of people are experiencing this similar contradiction where you have more time to relax and less things to do, yet your body is feeling more weighed down uh, maybe brain's a little more cloudy, that sort of tired, fatigue feeling. Uh, I'm curious if you have any insight into why so many people might be feeling fatigue right now uh, in a time where they're actually doing less. 
Yeah, so I, I, I think that it's, it's all about the cycle. You know, it's, it's the issue of stress. It's the issue of lack of sufficient sleep that contributes to a gradual progression of this feeling of sluggishness. Also, you could call it fatigue or even brain fog um, that, that kind of kicks in. Uh, so I think it's really important uh, to, again, think about how can you help influence and minimize that? So always, we can't get away from exercise. You've got to maintain that, that routine of exercise. And it doesn't have to be intense exercise. Just get out and walk for 20 to 30 minute blocks of time if you can, or do some calisthenics in place, or, or actually yoga and meditation also helps uh, restore the body's core energy processes. And so I think that's really important from a, from a nutrient uh, perspective, things like B vitamins are important. Complex macronutrients are really important, making sure you get enough of good quality carbohydrates, not simple sugars, get away from the simple sugars, increase your protein intake. Uh, is really important. And then, you know, have moderate levels of healthy fats. And so balancing the diet with better macronutrients, making sure your B vitamins are sufficiently uh, consumed. And, uh, you know, again, always a diet high in fruits and vegetables will kind of help balance and maintain energy levels. Uh, but really, we can't forget about exercise. We can't forget about what I would call the enabling influencers of our energetics, which are things like meditation, yoga, prayer, self-reflection, all of those things are really important. Yeah, uh, I, I like how these, uh, these challenges that we've raised today sort of all connect. These aren't uh, pointed things where you can say, oh, I'm having all these problems, I need this one nutrient. Is taking a multivitamin uh, a helpful thing to do uh, in the news over the last few years, there's been lots of conflicting information that I've seen. Multivitamins are a waste of money, then some multivitamins are really helpful. Uh, so what is uh, your verdict on uh, taking a multivitamin to help uh, fill in some of these gaps in a way that might be really e much more easy and convenient for someone to do than to be paying attention to specific foods and nutrients? So Alex, I think the short answer to that is, yeah, there's, there's a definite benefit to taking a multivitamin. And so here's, here's some of the background of the rationale for that, right? So 40 to 60% of Americans are undernutrition, meaning they're not consuming enough of the recommended daily intakes of micronutrients. And of those 40 to 60%, they're somewhere between 20 to as high as 50% deficient or have a gap in key nutrients. So when you pick a multivitamin, look at the label and look at a list that basically provides all the vitamins and minerals in a range of anywhere from 25 to typically 50% of the recommended daily intake. And that'll be adequate enough to fill that, that nutrient gap. Uh, so I think that's important. If you're really deficient or really have bigger concerns and working with a healthcare um, professional, you know, they may suggest higher, higher dosing uh, in other forms of multivitamins, but that's something that, that you should spend more time talking to a healthcare professional about. But again, most multivitamins that deliver that 25 to 50% of the RDIs, it's going to be adequate enough to fill the gaps um, and meet all the needs for most Americans. Yeah, and it, it seems like a convenient option if you don't have the time or energy or interest in thinking too much about your diet and what nutrients you are and aren't getting. If you can just take one multivitamin each day and know that most of your bases are covered, um, it seems like a good option. Yeah, exactly. 
So I, uh, we're all home next to our kitchens all day, probably full of some healthy food and some junk food. Is there anything, uh, that you would say is nutritious and healthy that you are really enjoying eating or snacking on right now that could be a good alternative to the potato chips or candy that a lot of us are pulling out while we're next to our kitchens working all day? Yeah, you know, I have to admit uh, there are two uh, two foods that I've uh, rediscovered recently. You know, a really great uh, uh, fruit-based yogurt mm. and uh, uh, nuts, walnuts, uh, dry-roasted peanuts, um, pistachios uh, are really fantastic. You know, you can mix those together, and it really kind of makes a, a great snack that, that uh, I'm a dessert guy. So it makes it feel like I'm having dessert all the time. But uh, it's got good protein. It's got probiotics, prebiotics in there. It has some of the nutrients that we've been talking about already kind of built in. So I find myself fortunately gravitating to that um, mid-afternoon snack that's uh, pretty healthy. Yeah, that, that sounds delicious. That's making me want something similar. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm allergic to dairy, but there's so many great dairy alternative yogurts right now. So I can partake in the yogurt too, finally. So I, I want to end on thinking about um, bigger principles of nutrition and health. So we've talked about these specific uh, struggles we're facing and some specific nutrients. Um, but what are, what are your sort of overarching philosophies on how to have uh, a healthy mind and body? Um, are there some guiding principles that you follow and you recommend to people? Yeah. So, uh, so here's a, maybe a short list, if you will, is decrease the consumption of added sugar or free sugar. So anything on the label that, that shows really more than about four or five grams of added sugar, try to try to minimize that from, from your diet. Gravitate toward uh, high health, healthy whole grain-based foods. Uh, gravitate toward increased consumptions of fruits and vegetables. And get a variety of fruits and vegetables. Do it by color. You know, there's greens, whites, uh, reds, purples. Just get a full variety of that. And don't worry about any particular fruit or vegetable that's going to have a higher or lower level of nutrients. Just get a balance of color on your plate and, and it'll take care of itself. The second uh, important or the third important issue is, is rebalance your nutrient intake. Consume fewer carbohydrates, more protein, and a moderate amount of healthy fats. And that, that'll help maintain that energy level. And ideally, if you can look at your caloric balance of about 40% of calories should come from good quality carbohydrates, 30% from healthy fats and 30% from good quality protein, that that's a good guide. Uh, there are some things to avoid or minimize. And so, you know, the consumption of caffeine, minimize that, especially three or four hours before bedtime, minimize or eliminate the consumption of alcohol, uh, especially pre-bedtime. It may, it may help you get to sleep faster, but it's going to recover itself over nighttime and it's going to be a stimulation again uh, effect in the middle of the night. So there are some foods to avoid. Uh, so on balance, let's look at macronutrient intake, increased consumption of fruits and vegetables, eliminate uh, those stimulators of stress or poor contributors to poor sleep. And I think you'll be okay. Don't forget to exercise. Don't, don't forget that opportunity for self-reflection and meditation. And at the end of the day, you can only control the things you can control. So focus on that and, and don't worry. Try not to worry about the things that you can. Thanks for tuning in to Closer Social Distancing. We've got more great interviews coming your way. So hit subscribe and we'll see you next time.